0: open your Bibles again to the book of Philippians this evening. Uh, We're not dealing with the next passage, but uh, thematically it's following this passage, not just um, that it's found later on in the third chapter. So we're skipping forward a little bit, but it fits thematically. The same theme is in mind uh, as the Apostle Paul continues to give instruction to um, the church in Philippi and to us as well about how it is we live our lives on this earth. And we saw this morning that the Apostle Paul uh, tells us that his overriding, compelling passion in life is to live as Christ and to die as gain and everything. That's uh, the deciding factor in every question about what he ought to do or not do, uh, how he resolves every dilemma of life, uh, what is it that will be most exalting to Christ, Uh, to live as Christ, to die as gain. This evening though, we look at the reality of um, our lives that while we may adopt that as our passion, while that may may be our conviction, we hear someone preach about that, we read about it in the book of Philippians. We say, yes, that's what I'm gonna do. Uh, That's gonna be my passion. Uh, That's gonna be my conviction, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And in your moments of greatest spiritual cognizance, uh, you see the reality of that, and the import of that, and the truth of that, and you embrace that. But then, of course, along the way, you live something else, right? Uh, You find yourself stumbling all over yourself along the way. And uh, in this passage, the Apostle Paul uh, urges us to move forward in spite of our failures, spite of our stumbling, and he uses the the imagery of a runner um, uh, to help us understand that. And so some of that will be in play tonight as we look at this text. So would you turn to Philippians 3, and we'll read verses 10 to 21. The Apostle Paul uh, speaks of his own conviction when he says, beginning in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to that which lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God In Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are mature, have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself." grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again we come to you praying for the work of your Holy Spirit. We pray your Holy Spirit would open our minds, enlighten our minds in the knowledge of Christ. We pray you would give us understanding of your word, not only what it means, but also how it applies to our lives and the courage to apply it. And would you help us, O Lord, Uh, to believe the gospel, that about which we have already read this evening, your forgiving grace, that you have begun a good work in us by your grace and mercy, and that you will not abandon that work until you have completed it, until the day of Christ Jesus. So instruct us, we pray, O Lord, and give us courage. Strengthen our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps some of you uh, gathered here this evening are runners. When I used to run, I would encounter people uh, who would say, well, if you see me running, you know something's chasing me. That's the only reason I'm ever running anywhere. But perhaps some of you um, have run in your past Probably not professionally, in other words, people paid you to do it. You probably paid others to do it. (laughs) Go figure that out. Uh, But you know, you ran recreationally or on the weekends or something like that and you tried to get better. There are some bodies that are made for running and other bodies that aren't. Sometimes I would be in a race. And there would be someone running in front of me, and their body I didn't think was made for running, but they were running better than I was, and I was not going to catch them or pass them. So they developed these techniques for running, some of them employed by professional runners, particularly at the end of their race. Um, As they come to the finish line at full speed, uh, they lunge forward. They bend their torso toward the finishing line at the last stride. I've heard this called the lunge technique. There's another technique, I never figured this one out, called the shoulder shrug technique. My technique was basically the don't quit technique. Just keep going until you cross the finish line. All of, the con- all of the techniques though have one thing in common, that is that they fix their eyes on the goal and they press on toward the finish line. So our goal is clear as believers in Christ. We noted this this morning. It was the goal of the apostle Paul. He commends it to us. Our trajectory is clear. Uh, we have come to know Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. We have come to value Christ above all things. In fact, another place in this letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul says uh, that he um, values Christ more than anything in this life, and he gives a litany of things that he used to think were important, and he said, I count them all as rubbish in comparison to to coming to know uh, Christ. Our hearts... Uh, When we hear the text of Scripture, we resonate with the Apostle Paul when he declares, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If you are a true believer, uh, your heart resonates with that. You say, yes, uh, that's for me as well. This is our conviction about life. But the reality is, in our day-to-day living, we fall short of the mark, don't we? Our eyes are often distracted by this or that along the way as we're running. Um, We trip up along the way. We are caught up with the glitter of the fool's gold of this world. And we succumb to the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, the boastful pride of life. So what do you do? What what do you do um, when you stumble along the way how do we move forward in our spiritual lives? Well, I think there are several things here the Apostle Paul gives us that can help us along the way as we run this race, not just as individual believers, but as, we, as you run it together as a body of believers, as a congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to mention several things to you. Um, that I think arise out of this book of Philippians and rise out of this text. The first is that when you find yourself stumbling along the way or you've tripped up somewhere along the way, the first is to reaffirm your commitment to the goal. As quickly and as soon as you acknowledge the fact that you have stumbled, that you've gotten off the path in some way, so quickly you reaffirm your commitment to the goal to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. So in verses 10 to 11, the apostle Paul declares that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So this is our lifelong goal, to know Jesus, uh, to know Him more fully, more completely, to know Him of whom the apostle Peter speaks when he says that in Him we have provided for us all that we have need of for life and godliness. It is in knowing Christ more fully, more completely that we have everything that we need for life and godliness in this world, to experience His power at work in your life, in the midst of sufferings and hardship and difficulty along the way. However many times you stumble along the way, so often you get back up and recommit yourself again to the goal, to live as Christ and to die is gain. In the business world, there are some who promote the idea of embracing your failures. One man said you must have long-range goals to keep you from being frustrated by short-term failures, bumps in the road. Theodore Roosevelt said the only man who never makes a mistake is the man who never does anything. Does it try? Does it strive? does it press forward. Thomas Edison spent $100,000 to obtain 6,000 different fiber specimens, only three of which proved satisfactory. Each failure brought him that much closer uh, to the goal. His friend Henry Ford was right when he said that failure was the opportunity to begin again but more intelligently. So the first thing we do as believers when we stumble along the way in this race is as quickly and as soon as we recognize that we've stumbled, so quickly we reaffirm our commitment to the goal, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Number two, secondly, Uh, We also come to the realization somewhere along the way in our Christian life that this gap that exists between what we know is right and true and good and that which we ought to pursue and what we actually live on a day-to-day basis um, is not going away. The Apostle Paul recognizes this. Now, early on in my Christian life, I felt like... um, that I was about right here uh, you know, and I needed to get here. And if I worked real hard, I'd be able to close the gap in a couple of weeks, memorize a few verses of scripture, go to a few more prayer meetings, really double down, I would close the gap. But I must tell you, it seems that over the years, my perception is that the gap has gotten wider to some extent or another. I've realized that I didn't start out here, I started down on the floor, and that where I needed to get was not here but up to the ceiling. The reference points have changed. Progress has been made in my life, but my perception of where I was and where I need to be has become more realistic. And this is a gap that stays with us all our lives. I call it the hypocrisy gap. Your life is always lagging behind your lips. You can always speak better, know better than you can live as a believer. I think the Apostle Paul recognized this. verses 12 to 13 of this third chapter, the Apostle Paul says, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. So that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. The Apostle Paul knows that however much progress he's made in the pursuit of his goal, he's not yet arrived. And there is derived from that recognition a certain uh, humility uh, in life, a certain meekness uh, in your spiritual life. To acknowledge that you're always falling short of the goal, that there's much more progress to be made. There will always be this gap between the goal he's pursuing and the reality of the life he's living. Remember, it was the Apostle Paul who wrote in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. This is the reality of our growth in grace. It is a struggle. It is um, incremental in nature. It is step by step. That's why we need the body of Christ. That's why you need the means of grace. That's why uh, to separate yourself or isolate yourself from other believers or the body of Christ is dangerous for your spiritual walk. It's prideful to think that somehow you'll get along just fine. That's why you can't just put your Bible on the shelf there and look at it as though it were some kind of magic book which if you look at or rub or something of that nature, it will somehow infuse you with spiritual power. No, you've got to to read it. You've got to think about it. You've got to meditate upon it. You've got to pray over it. Sometimes it feels like two steps forward and one step backwards. Sometimes it might feel like one step forward and two steps backward. But the progress is always forward, incremental, step by step. And Paul acknowledges that he has not already attained it. Attained what? Verse 11, the resurrection from the dead. He's still living in this world. He's still living in this body. He still has uh, the struggle to, to become what God would have him to be. He acknowledges that he's not already become perfect and so he does not regard himself as having laid hold of it yet. So we know that perfection in this life is not attainable. Theoretically, you might say, well, it, theoretically it's attainable. Is not the Spirit of God dwelling in you? Has he not given you the Word of God? Do you not have the sacraments? Do you have prayer? So theoretically, you could say, well, perfection is attainable, but actually, in reality, it is not attainable in this life. And anyone who's honest about his life spiritually knows that's the case. Now, yes, there are believers in this world who have promoted the idea that somehow, through some sort of formula, we, t- we, want, we, t- we want to somehow reduce uh, sanctification down to a formula. I was in a ministry that sort of reduced sanctification down to a formula, follow this pattern and you'll never sin again. But I've got to follow that pattern. Therein is the rub. I couldn't follow the pattern, so I never got the results, not the results of perfection. Some claim to have obtained perfection in this life, but usually what they do is either lower the standard or redefine sin. Well, I did make mistakes, but I didn't sin. Well, they have a very unbiblical concept of sin. So the Apostle Paul realizes that he's in process. God is not finished with the work he began in his life. Do you realize that about your own life? If you don't memorize any other verse from the book of Philippians, memorize Philippians 1.6. For I'm confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you realize that God is more interested in your sanctification, more committed to your sanctification than you are? He has more invested in your sanctification than you do. He has the precious blood of his eternal son invested in your Salvation and also in your sanctification, and He will not walk away from His investment. So, while we realize that there's always this gap, we're always going to have this struggle, um, our life is always going to be lagging uh, behind the pursuit of living for Christ, to live as Christ, to die as gain. At the same time, we know that our Lord will keep working in our lives until He has completed that great work of making us like Christ. So what do you do when you stumble along the way? One, reaffirm your commitment to the goal. As soon as you recognize you've stumbled, reaffirm your commitment to the goal. And then secondly, realize that this is a process um, that there's always gonna be this gap. Number three, keep pursuing the growth seeking to close the gap, and growing in Christ. Verses 12 to 19, the Apostle Paul says, Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but, but what? Well, I just quit. If I can't be perfect, if I can't uh, live a life that's completely in line with what I'm professing as a believer, then I'll just drop out of the game, I'll just quit or I'll just adopt an attitude that really doesn't make any difference one way or the other. He is, he's gonna do it. I just become sort of a, a, a fatalist of some sort or another. Uh, God's gonna make me like Christ and so I won't do anything or it really doesn't matter whether I do make any progress or I don't make any progress, Christ will return and it'll all get done and so I just throw caution to the wind. No, no. Uh, what does he say? But, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to that which lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, or the word could be better translated mature, have this attitude. So we reaffirm our commitment to the goal. We realize there's going to be this gap, but that does not lead us to inactivity. That presses us onward to keep pursuing growth in Christ, and it leads us to two things. An activity to pursue and a pattern uh, to follow. An activity to pursue. Verses 12 to 15. To know the power of the resurrection, to experience the resurrection power of Jesus at work in your life, transforming you into the image of Christ. This is Paul's goal. Painfully aware that he has not achieved it, so he's pursuing it with what? With great fervor. He doesn't back off. Verse 12, he says, I press on. Verse 13, he says, I'm reaching forward. Verse 14, he says, I press on. The fact that he falls short or has not yet arrived does not cause him to quit or to give up or to abandon his pursuit, but he does three things. He's pressing onward. And here's the imagery of the runner, the runner who keeps on running one more stride after the other. He's always pressing onward to lay hold of that for which he was laid hold of. Christ laid hold of him on the road to Damascus. By sovereign grace, he reached down and struck him to the ground, blinded him, and awakened him to spiritual life. A beautiful picture of regenerating grace. Christ laid hold of him to make him his own, a son of God, a spiritual man, a godly man who would one day enter into heaven itself. The word to press on means uh, to, to double down, to ramp it up. So Paul presses on, laying hold of that which had laid hold of him. Holding on to Christ, then he adds to that. He doesn't only press on, but he also presses forward. One thing I do for getting what lies behind and reaching forward to that which lies ahead. It's like the runner who, in the race, as he approaches the finish line, leans into the uh, the goal. He's always looking forward. He stumbles, but he doesn't look back. He keeps his focus forward, reaching for the finish line. So when you fall, you don't fixate on your failure. You deal with it. You confess your sin, you repent of your sin, and then you get back up and you keep on uh, pressing forward. One of the strategies of the evil one, you know, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, he says, uh, for we are not ignorant of his schemes or strategies. Sometimes I want to read that, for we are ignorant of his schemes. And see if anybody recognizes uh, the error in the reading. Sometimes we are ignorant of his schemes. One of Satan's strategies that when you fall into a pit of sin is for you just to stay there. And just get caught up in that. And sometimes there's almost an air of self-righteousness about it. I'm going to punish myself for a while so I can prepare myself for repentance. And the longer you do that, the longer you stay away from the restoring grace of God. So I don't know where you are. Maybe you're right now in a pit. Maybe you're stuck. You need to press forward You need to forget what lies behind, confess your sin, deal with it, repent of your sin and get back up and focus your eyes again on Christ. Reaffirm your commitment to live as Christ, to die as gain. Press forward. And then he says he's not only pressing on and pressing forward, but he adds another level, pressing upward. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Our focus is not on the downward call of our fallen nature, the pull of the flesh downward toward vulgarity, or to wallow in our own sense of misery, self-justifying misery. But our focus is to be upon Christ and His call upward, in our lives. He's called us to a life of obedience and godliness that we might reflect His glory. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And the writer of Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter, perfecter of our faith. So this is our mindset when we think about um, the difficulties, the failures, the challenges that we face in our pursuit of our relationship with Christ uh, in this life. This is our approach to our life in this world. Pressing onward, pressing forward, pressing upward. And coming alongside of each other when one is stumbling to hold him up and push him forward, and push him upward. Paul says, Let us, therefore, as many as are mature, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. So there's this activity to pursue, but there's also a pattern uh, to follow. Verses 16 to 17, Paul says, However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So as we pursue this goal, this is not a, um, a lone ranger run. This is not you out there by yourself uh, running a race uh, without anyone there beside you or to help you. This is, a, this is a group run. This is a herd run. You're running together as a body of believers. And as we pursue the goal and we stumble along the way, uh, we need godly examples who are there with us, running the race with us. We need brothers and sisters in Christ who are manifesting what it looks like When to live is Christ and to die is gain. When somehow that eludes us in some way and then we see a brother or a sister in Christ uh, who is showing you what that looks like, who's living it out, fleshing it out for you to see it. Paul reminds them of the standard that has been manifested before them. In other words, there was a certain pattern of godly living that had been attained uh, and was being lived out before them. They saw it. They observed it in the lives of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And the fact that one was living a life uh, that was exemplary uh, in pursuit of Christ, that stirred up others to follow the example. Sometimes I think that um, my wife and I have often discussed this, that our child-rearing went down the tubes when our kids moved upstairs to the second floor where they had some sort of privacy. And, you know, there can be a camaraderie that's not good, right? We, we covenant together to hide stuff from mom and dad. That, that's, that's not a good one, right? Of course, the Lord was always faithful to expose them, so they didn't ever get away with anything, although there are some things we discovered many years later. <clears throat> you, I see you have the same experience. But there's also a camaraderie that, that is that in the body of Christ that is beneficial, that's encouraging, that's uplifting um, as we share our lives together as believers. So there was this pattern of godliness. Paul exhorts him to follow that example, imitate that example, follow his example as he's following the example of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, uh, the apostle Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's a bold statement, a dangerous statement. Follow the pattern of godly living that has been lived out before their very eyes. And conversely, there was a pattern to avoid. In verses 18 and 19, he says, Look, many walk, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. There's an example to avoid. There are those who use the grace of God as an excuse to indulge in ungodliness. It's all around us, in the churches, everywhere around us. We, we fight against it in the PCA. We are not immune to it. Paul gives us a five-fold description of these men whom we are not to follow. The cross says, die to self. Uh, they say, indulge self. The gospel leads to life, but they are on a path to destruction. The gospel sets you free from bondage to sinful desires. They are enslaved by their own lust. They have an insatiable appetite for pleasure and power. They glory in that about which they should be ashamed. We've lost any sense of shame today in this culture. We used to say, you ought to be ashamed. Now no one says that anymore. They call good evil and evil good And they do their deeds out in the open without shame They want you to approve of what they do And they parade their sin out in the open with no sense of shame It's all around us today Their minds are consumed with this world, earthly things They live as though this world is all that there is Money, pleasure, prestige, power For them, to live is not Christ, and to die is not gain. They have this libertine spirit, no restrictions. Do whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you happy. This is the pattern to avoid. This is to live is me, 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 and to die is lost. When you take your eyes off of this upward call, you are in a danger of a downward fall. So what do you do? Well, you reaffirm your commitment to the goal, to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. You realize that there's always gonna be this gap that humbles you and makes you draw close to Christ and to the means of grace. And you keep pressing onward, forward, upward, and focus on the gain, the goal. What is the gain? The completion of our salvation perfection in Christ Paul reminds us in verses 20 to 21 for our citizenship is in heaven yes we live on this earth but we are not citizens of this earth we are citizens of heaven we have been translated from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son Our citizenship is in heaven, he says, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. We just, of course, every Lord's Day in a Reformed church, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ was raised on the first day of the week. We gather on the first day of the week to celebrate a risen Lord. The whole church just this past week uh, throughout, quote-unquote, Christendom, uh, took note of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we do again today and next Sunday. And the Sunday after that, we serve a risen Lord. And we know that because He is raised from the dead, one day He shall raise us from the dead. And because His body was translated into glory, so our bodies one day shall also be translated into glory. And our battle against sin, our struggle, our race will be over. We'll cross the finish line. Glory be to God. To live is Christ and to die is gain. What is the gain? It is the final glorious transformation of our whole being, body and soul at the day of resurrection. It is the completion of your salvation at that great day of resurrection when we shall enter into new heavens and new earth as citizens of heaven. For this we eagerly wait. We eagerly wait for our Savior Jesus to return and complete the work which He has begun in us. We wait for Him to bring us across the finish line toward which we are pressing. And He will finish the good work which He has begun in you. However you struggle, whatever your stumble may be, wherever you are right now, He will finish the good work that He began in you. He will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? You will be transformed into some unspeakably beautiful creature that you can hardly imagine. And you'll live in the pristine beauty of the glory of God in a remade heaven and earth. Man, who could do that? Take a lot of power to do that. Well, he said, child's play for Jesus. It's by the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. Jesus will subject everything in this universe to himself. He even about the process now, and he will do so with your own body and with your own soul. This is gain. You'll have a body that does not know the effects of sin, that will not struggle with sin. You will have not to fight against the lust of the flesh, the lust of your eyes, the boastful pride of life. There will be nothing that will distract you from the beauty and glory of Jesus, and you'll live in perfect, unbroken fellowship with Him and with one another for all eternity. And every day will be better than the day before. And nothing will ever diminish it or take away from it. That is gain, unspeakable gain. So what do you do when you stumble on your way to heaven? You know, it's one thing to be stumbling toward hell. It's another thing to be stumbling toward heaven. Sometimes they might look the same, but they're very different. One is stumbling toward the finish line By the grace of God, reaffirm your commitment to the goal, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Forget what lies behind and press onward, press forward, press upward toward the prize of the upward call. May God help us as we pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the encouragement you give us in your word. And many of us, O Lord, are stumbling. We don't look very much like runners, and yet you are sustaining us all the way. And Lord, we thank you for this sacrament of the Lord's Supper in which you offer yourself to us, to feed us, to sustain us, to strengthen us on the way. Lord, may we know the fullness of your grace as we feed upon Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.